Well, if you haven't already, turn to John chapter 9, verses 13 through 41. We're continuing a series through the Gospel of John. If you're just joining us, last week we were in the first several verses of this where we read about a man born blind who Jesus gave sight to. And as the story continues, we see here three marks of spiritual blindness. Three marks of spiritual blindness. There may be more than three. I'm going to point out three this morning. Um, but let's look together there at John 9, 13 through 41. The words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible of your own. And I'll ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word and attentiveness to his voice in the scriptures. Hear the word of the Lord. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. 
and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are thankful as always for your word. And that every time we read it, no matter how many times we have read a passage before, you have new things to show us or new ways in which it's relevant to us. Lord, we trust that that will be true today as we come here with a whole range of needs and a whole range of reasons to be thankful. A whole range of things, Lord, that you want to speak to us one by one. So we open our ears and hearts to hear from you. Would you speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good. And Lord, move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today. For Christ's sake, amen. You may be seated. Some of you may be familiar with the term confirmation bias. I I thought about even titling the sermon, The Dangers of Confirmation Bias, but I thought that might sound too academic and that Half of you might leave before uh, I even got any farther. But you, you may, have, may have heard that term. Confirmation bias simply means that we all, really, as human beings, that we have a bias uh, toward information that confirms our existing beliefs. Uh, that is, we, our, our human tendency is to go looking for information and interpret that information in a way that confirms or is consistent with what we already believe. That makes sense? You're tracking with me so far? We, we have a bias towards information that serves as confirmation of what we already believe. And the internet, especially social media, has magnified this tendency in us. Because there are seemingly countless sources of information at our disposal out on the internet, and we can choose which ones we listen to, which ones we even hear from, right? We can tune some of them in and tune all the others out. And on social media, we can surround ourselves with people who think like we do and silence the ones who don't, right? So they can still be your friend. You just don't want to hear anything they have to say. You know, there's a feature like that. And it has a way of creating a sort of echo chamber that we live in where we're only hearing the things that we already believe that just confirm what we already believe and affirm us in that way. Because we want our viewpoint to be right anyway. I mean, I've told you the the joke one time I heard about the uh, the couple that was... um, was driving you know, on a trip and they were in a town that was unfamiliar and they were arguing, they were lost and they were arguing about uh, where they were and how to find their way to uh, where they were supposed to go. And so they pulled over at a gas station and asked somebody, uh, the, the husband rolls down the window and says, 
Will you settle an argument for us? Are we on this side of town or the other? And the man, well, sir, you're on this side of town. And he said, see, I told you so. He didn't have any new information. He just confirmed in his mind that he was right. And that's the way we're oriented. We want our viewpoint to be right. And now it's much easier to convince ourselves it's right because we can find multiple sources that just tell us so, that validate us in that way. So over time, we become more and more confident that we have possession of the truth. And we, in fact, haven't even looked for the truth. We haven't even looked for the truth. We have just looked for corroboration that we were right in the first place. And see, that shows up in all kinds of issues from politics to public policy to vaccines to climate change and other important issues that I'm not going to say anything more about (laughs) this morning. But the great problem with confirmation bias is that it can blind people from the truth. In fact, I suppose we'd have to say, I mean, somebody who's really given over to that uh, is in some ways blinded to the truth, at least in some parts. And that's of ultimate importance when it comes to questions of who Jesus is and what he has done and how we are to follow him. Because no one who is blinded from the truth can follow Jesus who is himself the truth. If we're blinded from the truth, we can't follow the truth. Because rather than seeking the truth so that we may conform ourselves to it, we seek support for what we've already decided is true. C.S. Lewis uh, said that this same dynamic was at work in attempts in his uh, day and age and place, attempts to build a just society on Christian principles. So he was, well, he was a British guy, and so as they there tried to uh, live out Christian principles and sort of embed them into society and create a just society based on those principles, um, he said that we run into the same problem. And here's, here's how he said it. The real snag in all this drawing up of blueprints for a Christian society is that most of us are not really approaching the subject in order to find out what Christianity says. We're approaching, approaching it in hopes of finding support from Christianity for the views of our own party. He said this, not me. If we, we are looking for an ally where we are offered either a master or a judge. Let me read the latter part of that again. He says, we're not really approaching the subject in order to find out what Christianity says. We're approaching it in hope of finding support from Christianity for the views of our own party. We are looking for an ally when we are offered either a master or a judge. And here's where this becomes of ultimate importance. Because how, what the Bible reveals to be true about God and about Jesus Christ and how we are to be saved through him. What, what, what is revealed about him is the truth and that's what we are to respond to and conform ourselves to. 
And if we go to him or go to the scriptures looking for an ally rather than a master, we will find a wayward path to perdition. It is of ultimate importance that we seek the truth rather than confirmation of our own presuppositions. Well, the healing of this blind man by Jesus provides an occasion to reveal the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees who just refuse to believe in Jesus. And there is a picture here of the stubbornness of unbelief, uh, probably as depicted as well here as any place that could, could come to mind for me. The stubbornness of their unbelief. They absolutely refuse to believe in Jesus, and part of what keeps them blinded is a bad case of confirmation bias. And I want to observe that and observe from their example three marks of spiritual blindness. Mark number one is treating something other than Scripture as an infallible voice of authority. I would say, by the way, for the non-Christian, the person who's uh, an atheist or agnostic and just irreligious, uh, you would take issue with even regarding the Scriptures as an infallible voice of authority. That's maybe another subject for another day, uh, and maybe one I'll touch on um, a, a little bit along the way here. But the point is, these are religious leaders They believe in God and in his revealed word, but they treat as an infallible voice of authority something besides just his word. Specifically, they had a body of teaching based on oral traditions, uh, namely, but a body of teaching based on their interpretations and applications of the biblical law. To any number of rules that they added to what the scripture said explicitly that was based on their interpretation and how that was to be applied. We could think about in our day the way this has played out in different times where um, in some some Christian circles maybe in uh, decades past and in some of your experience where it was an evil thing to wear denim. Right? Blue jeans were just like from the devil. Or long hair. Makeup. I mean, you know, on or going to going to the movie theater. Like so. In other words, what 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 people had had attempted to do, and maybe earnestly so at the outset, was to was to understand what the scripture said and then apply it to their lives. So, living a holy life in some way, living, uh, dressing modestly, refraining from certain activities or whatever they and they 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 came up with another book of rules. And told us about them. And they kind of had their enforcers all over the community watching to see who went in the movie theater and so on. But that's that's the sort of thing uh, that would be at play here. The, the, The Pharisees had read the scriptures and then interpreted it and applied them. And they had a rule book, essentially, of the way that was to be applied. And they had a long list of things that you could not do on the Sabbath day. This would be like case law, even in courts today, where the law is written and then it's interpreted by a judge and then that interpretation becomes part of the law that's applied later. That's sort of how that worked out in their day. Those traditional interpretations became authoritative for the Pharisees alongside the scripture and they had an equal weight of authority and that's the issue 
for them. In the case of Jesus and the man born blind, they applied the fourth commandment regarding the Sabbath in a way that said Jesus had sinned by giving the man his sight. And it's not clear whether they regard it as a sin because he put saliva on the man's eyelids. I read one source that said that, or whether it's because he made mud. And it was a little bit too much like kneading bread dough, which was forbidden on the Sabbath. Whatever was the, in their minds, the sin here is not clear. But what is clear is that their whole argument hinges on their belief, their assumption that he sinned by healing this man on, in this way on the Sabbath. And if you go back, if you were to try to work out what their argument is, it all begins with that assumption. And everything else is built upon that. The problem, of course, is that God did not say that that was a sin. There's nowhere in the scriptures that says anything about making mud or wiping saliva on somebody's eyes on the Sabbath. And, of course, that's one of the reasons Jesus contested this so strongly. He did things on the Sabbath he could have done the day before the Sabbath. He could have done the day after the Sabbath. He did it on the Sabbath to put it right in their face, their hypocrisy and their blindness. They were wrong here, and the whole argument falls apart because of that. Actually, of course, they don't see that. But they give, it, they, they give their own interpretations and applications of the Scripture a, a, a sort of infallible uh, level of authority and a voice of authority like that. You'll remember one of the foundational beliefs of the Protestant Reformation was that Scripture alone is the, the only infallible source of authority for the church. That's part of the battle cry, the solas, one of the solas of the Reformation. That doesn't mean, by the way, that, no, that nothing else or no one else speaks with authority. This, is, this has been uh, taken to... Um, Unhealthy conclusions uh, by people where in every generation they think, well, it's just me and my Bible and I can just I, I sort of go into private, open the Bible and uh, read it and whatever I understand it to mean, that's what's true or relevant to me or whatever, whatever. As if nobody's ever read it before. As if nobody else has said anything that gives any insight to it before. And that's really uh, an error of a different sort. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that nobody else or nothing else speaks with any authority. It just means that only the Bible speaks with infallible authority and supreme authority. That is superior to everything else. That it rules over every other source of authority. Only scripture carries that sort of weight. So examples of, of those kinds of sources of authority. And I should say here, uh, I, I did say that the... Uh, the, the problem here is treating something as having infallible authority, not necessarily saying it does. People treat things with that kind of authority, even though they would never claim that they have authority. Most people here would say, yes, the Bible alone is God's word and speaks with uh, absolute authority in those ways. But they live very much as if other voices carry equal authority or even superior authority. And so examples of that, uh, would be personal, subjective interpretations of the Bible. Uh, people who have read it and think uh, it means something that it never meant to anybody else in 2,000 years of church history, but, but that's what it means. And so 
uh, their own interpretation carries that authority. People who, who have revelations that they say allegedly are from the Holy Spirit. I, and we, we believe the Holy Spirit does reveal uh, truth and um, knowledge and wisdom, prophetic words and insight, right? Those are gifts of the Spirit that we affirm. But there are people who will, who will say the Holy Spirit has told them something that, that contradicts what the Scripture already said. And I just say, well, I, you know, I probably won't convince you otherwise. But I'm just going to go what's already been written down. I think, with, with, you know, until, until I'm convinced you know how to interpret what the Holy Spirit put down in writing, I don't have all that much confidence in what you say the Holy Spirit told you in your living room. But there are people who will, who will just stand on that as if it is the, 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 the Holy Spirit told them. It is absolutely authoritative in their life and it doesn't matter what you could show them from scriptures. They will not believe that they're wrong about what they think has been revealed to them. I may have uh, touched a nerve there, but anyway, that's the case for some people. There are also people who give that kind of authority to individuals. Um, it would be true, for, like in the Roman Catholic tradition, for the, the Pope to a certain degree, that there are occasions when the Catholic Church teaches the Pope uh, can speak infallibly when he speaks from the chair, ex cathedra, um, and they assign that kind of authority. They assign that sort of authority really to the, uh, the teaching of the church down to, through the centuries as well. And, and, and unap unapologetically so, by the way. I'm not saying anything they wouldn't say uh, themselves. But that the scripture and the teaching of the church both stand with that kind of authority. But again, even for those who don't, the Protestants who don't have any special regard for the, the Pope will give that kind of regard to other pastors. Again, they would never say that that pastor speaks infallibly, but they treat everything he says as if it's infallible. They're not sure what their opinion is on something, so they go look up what did he say. And now that's what they're saying. Uh, subjective feelings can be um, authoritative for people in that way. Really, is that's a prevalent mindset in our day. Just what, what people kind of shape their own reality. They write their own reality inside their own head. And you can't, you, 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 there's just no argument against that because uh, it's entirely subjective. And then the, the other would be the prevailing view of secular culture, whatever that may be. And that's a little squishy and it's changing all the time, it seems. But people, even professing Christians, even professing Christians who would say they believe in the uh, authority and infallibility of the scripture will actually on many issues adopt whatever is the prevailing view of the culture. And like C.S. Lewis said, they don't, go to, they don't go to the scriptures looking for what does Christianity say about this. They go looking for support for what the culture has told them is true about this. Authority ascribed uh, to any number of sources that don't deserve it. And if we do that, we will risk becoming blinded to the truth because we just can't, we can't be told otherwise. The scripture can't speak supremely if something else is speaking equally as loud. So that's mark number one, treating something other than the scripture as an infallible voice of authority. Mark number two we see here in the Pharisees is ignoring obvious evidence 
because it calls their beliefs into question. After the man had washed the mud out of his eyes, he could, he could obviously see. Like th- this is, when I say obvious evidence, okay, this is obvious. Here's a man that can see. And there are people around him attesting to the fact, used to, he couldn't see. He was a beggar. He's never been able to see before. So transformed that people didn't even recognize him. Remember that in the earlier passage? The man can see. Crowds of people knew he used to be blind. And in between being blind and being able to see was Jesus. Jesus passed by, saw the man spit on the ground, mixed some mud, put it in his eyes, told him to go wash. And the man came back seeing, John said. So those are the, those are the facts. And it, it would appear something remarkable had happened. In fact, the man himself says, uh, down later in the passage in verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And here's a man who was born blind who now can see, and in between what happened is Jesus put some mud on his eyes. Now we'll let you work out your theories as to what might have happened, but those are the facts, and they absolutely cannot give them an honest consideration. There's obvious evidence presented to them that they they just cannot uh, give an honest look at because it it calls their beliefs into question. But see, one group of the Jews is looking at that evidence, right? It says um, down in verse 16, there's two different groups of them. Some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Now notice, what, notice what's happened here. One of, the gr- one, of, one of those groups is looking at the evidence and going, geez, I'm not sure what to make of this, but like I can't really deny what's happened. The other group refuses to look at the evidence because they believe something that will not let them Examine the evidence. It won't let them go where the evidence is going to take them. And so so the the open-minded ones we're presented here uh, with in this passage are those that are are just examining the evidence. And the ones who disregard it are are closed-minded. Because the, the thing that appears obviously to have happened cannot have happened. Do you get the mindset there? Like, I see the man can see. I, I hear you say he was blind. I hear you say Jesus wiped mud in his eyes, but that can't be. Can't be. And that's basically why they go talk to the man's parents. Because they think, well, he must not have been born blind. There, there must be something else to the story. And fair enough, if that was going to be an honest investigation into the facts. If you wanted to get all the facts before you draw your conclusions well enough, corroborate whether or not the man was born blind. That is not why they're going there. They're going there because they have ruled out the possibility that Jesus has healed this man. 
Now, we're talking here mostly about religious people. The Pharisees are featured in, in, uh, in the account here. We're talking mostly about them disregarding evidence, but it can be equally true of secular-minded people too. In fact, this would be highly relevant to the issue in the 21st century. Because what is at issue here is evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that they refuse to examine, refuse to see, and refuse to believe. And for other reasons, secular people in the contemporary age will do the same thing. Refuse to examine evidence uh, for the existence of God, for the person of, of Jesus and his miracles and so on. And disregard uh, or refuse to examine the evidence as well. G.K. Chesterton, another Brit, uh, said, is assumed that the skeptic has no bias, whereas he has a very obvious bias in favor of skepticism. It, it is assumed the skeptic has no bias. He has a very obvious bias in favor of his skepticism. And this is, this is how it goes to the secularist of the 21st century, the, the, the philosophical naturalist, we might say, the person who believes that all that exists is matter and energy and that everything can be explained by way of uh, the scientific method and just the use of reason applied to what we discover through the scientific method. Atheists and agnostics primarily would fall into that group, or I suppose most of the people who would fall into that group, would, would, it would lead them to the conclusion that they're either atheist or, or agnostic. But, but sometimes atheists and agnostics think of themselves this way, as being open-minded, of, 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 of the being objective and unbiased. But if you're, and there may be some here today who would consider themselves that, and if you're as honest with yourself as I'm asking the rest of us to be with ourselves, um, you're actually very biased because your worldview will not allow you to consider the possibility of the existence of, of spiritual or supernatural things. If you believe uh, sort of as a presupposition from the outset before you consider any evidence at all, if you believe that all that exists is matter and energy, you have excluded the possibility there can be anything spiritual. Right? You've excluded the possibility there's any such thing as a supernatural, any such thing as a miracle. And so any evidence presented for those, you'll be inclined to dismiss because that can't possibly be. And that is just to say, this is an equal opportunity problem, confirmation bias and spiritual blindness. And so one of the marks of spiritual blindness is that refusal to examine the evidence. Uh, the third and final one is asking for your opinion, but then getting upset when you have the wrong opinion. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced this one. There are certain questions, if I were your attorney, I would advise you not to answer on Facebook. Because people aren't looking for your opinion. They're looking for their opinion to come out of your mouth. In verse 17, it says, the Pharisees ask the man what he thinks. 
about who Jesus is. Well, what do you say? You're the one who had his eyes open by. What do you say? Well, he's a prophet. Nothing. <laughs> they don't say anything in response. And the next, uh, you know, cut to the next scene, they go to talk to the parents. Because a man doesn't know enough about Jesus here to think any more than that. Like, he, he, he doesn't know enough yet to know he's Messiah or anything like that. He just knows this is a man from God. He must be a prophet or something on that, uh, on that line. But the Pharisees don't even respond. They go looking for another explanation. The, 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 the parents tell him, you know, he can answer for himself. Go ask him. Because they don't want to get trapped into this mess. And when they go back to the man a second time, they say, give glory to God. Give it up. Tell the truth. We know this man's a sinner. And you call his response, well, he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Like, I'm, I don't have all that, I don't have all those degrees you've got in theology. I don't know about that. I just know I was blind and now I see. Make of it what you will. And, and there seems to be a little sarcasm uh, to me, at least I, I read it that way. And uh, I have to admit, uh, confess even, that I appreciate it. Um, Because then after, the, after they asked how Jesus opened his eyes, you, you heard him say, oh, I already told you. What, what do you, you want to be his disciples too? And he knew like that was, yeah, you know, just a poke in the ribs. And they said, we're Moses' disciples. We, we don't know where this guy comes from. And then verse 30 and following, the man says, why, this is an amazing thing. This is an amazing thing. You don't know where this man comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. And he goes on to say, we know that God does not listen to sinners. If anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were, from, were not from God, he can do nothing. Well, they, Then they get furious, right? Verse 34, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? This is exactly the kind of reaction you can get right, right here in our day and age, right? Somebody asks your opinion, and then you tell them, hey, who are you to tell me? Well, you asked. What did I think? Right? But they, they didn't get the answer they're looking for, and, they're, and now they're furious. They're pressing him. And just don't get the answers they want. When he really came out and told them what they thought, they end up rebuking him and casting him out, which, of course, is where Jesus comes back around to him, tells him who he is. The man believes and worships him. And we have the blind man who can see both literally, uh, physically, and spiritually. And the men who think they have all the insight are just going to die in their blindness. Well, think, since you think you see, the guilt, your guilt is yours. For the one who knows he doesn't see everything, there's hope for him because he'll go looking for the truth. The one who thinks he's in full possession of it will not and will be judged blind 
and for his refusal to believe. Well, it's a, I guess, a relevant word to any of us here, and again, including those who are professing Christians, including those who are professing Christians, who would, who would claim to believe what's revealed to be true about Jesus, and yet have such fixed notions about what's actually true in the world that, they can, that, that God can't get through to them. One of the ways this would um, show up and one of the ways it would matter a whole lot is if, if God can't get through to us with the truth, then he cannot get through to us even about our own sin, our own need for forgiveness, our own need for his grace. That, we don't receive his forgiveness and his grace once upon a time. That is not a transaction that we, we, we do on one episode and then we just wait for the bus to take us to heaven. That is not what is revealed to us in the New Testament. We live by the grace of God. We have good reason to preach to ourselves the gospel every day. If, if we have eyes to see what the Holy Spirit would show us about ourselves, we will see our need for grace every single day. Our sin, our failures, our brokenness, our inadequacy and all that kind of stuff. And, and listen, if I am blinded by my own confirmation bias, that tendency, um, I will not see what God tries to show me about the truth about myself. You'll hear people uh, of this vein who will talk about, who would be glad to say that they're sinners generally, right? They'll accept that truth that all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Yeah, me too. Nobody's perfect. But you may never hear them, and nobody who knows them may ever hear them confess about any specific sin that they've struggled with and been convicted by. What's, what's the truth the Holy Spirit would reveal about how that, how that applies to me personally and in a specific way that I would need to repent of personally, confess personally, and ask for forgiveness of personally? That would be one of the marks of spiritual sight, you might say, <laughs> that, we're, that we're not walking around spiritually blind if we're honest about the truth that God would reveal to us about ourselves. Um, but, but at the end of the day, what would, what would matter most to anybody, whether religious or irreligious, is whether their eyes are opened to the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. And those who know, they don't see anything with perfect clarity and are seeking him uh, to reveal the truth and then to conform themselves to the truth, will find it. And those who believe they're already in possession of it and it's everybody else who's wrong and needs to come around to their way of thinking may find themselves wandering in utter darkness for eternity. The invitation, of course, 
uh, to all of us from Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And that's the invitation to us even today. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for that good word that we conclude with, Lord, that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That this world that was scrounging around, clamoring around, feeling our way around in darkness on this earth, have received by your grace entirely a revelation of truth, the light of the world. And so God, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our eyes, reveal to us what is true, even greater measures of the truth. Uh, Lord, would you break off of us the tendency to live a very self-justifying life where we surround ourselves with people who will agree uh, with us about all the issues, whose affirmation toward us will give us more confidence that we found the truth, even when we haven't earnestly gone looking for it. And Lord, would you make it true of us that people who claim to be followers of the truth would always labor hard to know the truth and to tell the truth and to lead people to the truth. Cause your light to reflect off of us and on to a world that walks in darkness. That people, the nations may come to you and be saved and you might be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen.